It's good to see everyone back out this evening. Brandon had uh, texted me earlier in the week to ask what the lesson this evening was going to be about, and I gave him a vague idea, but it was just that. At the time, it was relatively vague, and in my mind, I was thinking, I'm not sure that he's going to find a lot of songs that coincide with the lesson this evening, and he proved me wrong. Uh, So kudos to Brandon, and it was with a song that, honestly, I'm not sure that I knew. Maybe I had sung it before, but the song we just sang, number 492, Only in Thee, a beautiful song, and I have to tell you, uh, you could have taken the thesis from the lesson right out of this song. Pleasures of earth so seemingly sweet fail at the last my longings to meet. Only in thee my bliss is complete. Only, dear Lord, in thee. Beautiful words and words that I want you to keep in mind as we think about the lesson this evening and as we study together. Uh, We're going to talk some this evening about just that, about where our needs are met, where our joy is found, where our peace is found. And as you see on the screen behind me, the way we're going to approach that is we're going to look at the deceptive nature of temptation and the lies that we are told about where our peace comes from and the lies that we are told about where joy is found. I'm going to ask you to begin with me in the book of Genesis. It's going to be very easy this evening. I'm going to ask you to open up to the first book of the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you to open up the first book of the New Testament. That's it. It's very easy to follow along. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3 this evening, and then we're actually going to back up to Genesis chapter 1. This is actually an idea that, that I had heard someone else discussing recently, and it really struck me, and I began to dive a little bit deeper into this, and it really had a profound impact on me in the way that I view temptation and the lies that we are told today. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the story of the fall of man, uh, of the first sin that enters into the world as Eve and then Adam go against God's commands and eat of the tree that they were told not to eat of in the midst of the garden. But I want to look with you this evening at what the serpent tells Eve when he is trying to convince her to eat of the tree that she knows not to eat from. Listen to what the serpent says to her, beginning in verse number 4 of Genesis chapter 3. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so keep that in mind and back up just probably a page in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, to the story of creation. As we are told about God creating man in the very beginning, listen to what we're told about that beginning in chapter 1 and verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. 
Now, maybe you were able to pick up on where we're going this evening. When we're told the creation story, God makes a point to make it known that he has created man in his image, in his likeness. He created man in his image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Okay, that's what God tells us about the creation of man. What does the serpent tell Eve when he is trying to convince her to eat of the fruit? She will be what? Like God. God made them like God. You see the lie that's being told to Eve here? Satan is trying to convince Eve that she needs to do something to be like God when God himself looks down on man and says, I'm going to create you to be like me. You see the deceit wrapped up in all of this? The serpent is flat out lying to Eve, trying to convince her that she needs something that God has already provided to her. God has made her like him. God has made man to be like him. And it is so important that we, as we face temptation day in and day out, to remember that. To remember the fact that God has already made us to be like him. Just like eating the fruit wasn't going to make Eve more like God, In fact, eating the fruit was going to make Eve less like God because God is righteous, God is holy, God is perfect, and eating that fruit separated them from God. That fruit wasn't going to make her more like God. It was going to make her less like God. God had already made her to be like him. And in the same way, when we think about the way in which we were created, And the lies that are told to us by the world around us. We have to remember that we were made in God's image. We were made to be like him. There is nothing that this world can offer us to make us more like God. Because God has already made us in his image. Man likes to use the phrase as we continue to quote-unquote progress and we continue to innovate and we continue to design. Especially sometimes you'll hear this phrase used in the medical community as the ethics of, of medical procedures are used. That sometimes man is playing God because of the decisions that we make. No, we're not. <clears throat> Only God can play God. Anything that we do to try and circumvent that takes us away from God. We are made like him. We are made and designed to be in unity with him. Don't let the world ever try to convince you otherwise. God created us to live in perfect harmony with him. And so it is incumbent upon us, as it was for Adam and Eve, to live into the nature of that creation. Realizing that God had made us to be like him. And that the world's lies only take us further from him. 
But as we continue that thought, one of the next things that we have to consider is, is that we have to understand that at the very foundation, it is important for us to realize that only God can truly fulfill what oftentimes man seeks to find in sin. Again, what was the serpent trying to convince Eve of? That she could be more like God through the eating of that fruit. The world will try to convince us that sin provides something more than what God himself can give to us. And just like it was a lie when the serpent said it to Eve, it is a lie when the world says it to us. Think about sin in general. Think about it. Strip away all of the specifics for just a moment. Strip away all the specifics and think about sin at the very foundational level. What are people seeking through sin? They're seeking happiness. They're seeking acceptance. They're seeking inclusion. They're seeking joy. They're seeking peace. They're seeking comfort. These are the things that just through human nature, all of us want. And oftentimes we look to the world to try to satisfy that. And that leads people down the paths of seeking it in a variety of different ungodly manners. But when you think about peace, and when you think about comfort, and when you think about happiness, and when you think about joy, when you think about acceptance, when you think about love, who provides that for us? Only God does. Only God does. So if Eve felt as if she wasn't enough like God, she should have turned to God in that situation. And in the same way, when we long for peace and contentment and happiness and joy and peace and comfort and acceptance and love, when we long for all of those things, we cannot let the world deceive us into thinking that it can provide to us what in reality only God can fulfill. Now it's one of those things that as we sit here this evening is easy to say and it's easy to understand and it's much more difficult to put into practice. But it is important that we are able to stop in the moment of temptation, to take a beat, to take a breath, and to give this some serious consideration. What am I considering? What am I about to do? What am I about to say? And why am I about to do that? Why am I about to say that? And the answer will always come back to the fact that I am trying to get something that I can only truly have in God. And when we keep that in our mind, when we make that a practice within our lives, that will be one of the most important guardrails that we can set up for ourselves to protect us against sin. Because it will serve as a constant reality check for us before we enter into sinful behavior, before we enter into sinful deeds. And lastly, building upon this same idea, we have to remember that everything good 
and everything of value only God truly can provide. I told you I was only going to have you turn to the first book of the Old Testament, first book of the New Testament. Let's turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. We see an example of this as Satan takes Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him. If you'll recall, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when the tempter came to him. I want you to look at, with me at verses 4 and verses 10 specifically. So we're only going to pick up a couple of verses of this story. But just in context, Satan tempts Jesus three different times in three different ways. And I want you to listen to how Jesus responds in verse number 4 and verse number 10 after those temptations. Verse number 4, but he, said, but he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who knew better than any of us did, he was able to realize that whatever, whatever Satan may offer him, whatever Satan may want him to do, whatever promise Satan may make to him, life could only come through the words that proceed from the mouth of God. He understood that worship should only be given to the Lord your God and to him you shall serve. See, he knew, he understood perfectly that every good thing, everything of any true value in this world, it didn't come from any earthly or physical promise that could be made to him. It didn't come from anything that he could collect or any power that he could rise to. It came from God. It came from the very words that proceeded from the mouth of God himself. That is where things of value come from. And again, going back to our text in Genesis chapter 3, if Eve had just taken a moment and considered this reality, that all good things and everything of true value come from God, then she too would have realized that nothing that the tempter could offer her, nothing that Satan could promise her, held any real value. And in the same way, nothing that the world promises us holds any real value. Now again, going back to what we talked about earlier, there may be some temporary joy, some temporary happiness, or at least some masking of those things in some way. But there's no true value contained in what the world has to offer us. There's no true good contained in what the world has to offer us, but the world will try to make us think that there is. And just like the serpent was lying to Eve about being more like God, the world's lying to us about where true value lies, about how we can fulfill our longings for joy and our longings for peace and for contentment and for acceptance and love and so on. Those things will never be found 
and what the world has to offer. As we begin to close things for this evening, I want to give you just some maybe a practical challenge to consider this week. As you go into whatever your life holds for you in the week to come, whether it's to work or to school or you're out in the community or dealing with friends, neighbors, whatever it might be, if you find yourself facing temptation, if you find yourself with a decision to make, perhaps about whether you're going to lash out in anger, whether or not you may tell a lie to try and get yourself out of a situation, or maybe you may do something that you don't want anybody else to know about, that you know you shouldn't be doing, whatever, whatever you may potentially face, before doing anything, before saying anything, I want you to just stop and ask yourself, what do I want out of this situation? What do I need right now? What, what am I seeking as I consider what my next actions are going to be? And if you ask yourself that question, and you're willing to dig deep into the answer to that question, then what you will find is that whatever it is, that you feel in that moment as if you are lacking, that you feel in that moment as if you are needing, that you feel in that moment that you desire for, you can only find that in God, not in the unrighteous, ungodly decision that you're contemplating. Now that, that is a difficult practice to undertake, but it is a crucial one for us to realize and to put into practice in our lives. Because it's the answer to that question, it's the practice of stopping ourselves and realizing what's about to take place here and what I'm looking for in all of this that would have kept Eve from eating of the fruit that she knew she wasn't supposed to eat of. And it's the practice that protected Jesus and kept him pure and holy when he was tempted in the wilderness. And it's the practice that can do the same for us. It's a practice that can keep us pure in the eyes of God. It's a practice that can keep us like God, the way that we were designed and created to be. And it's a practice that over time will strengthen the bond between us and God and strengthen the relationship that we have with him. He is the giver of all good things. He is where our true joy comes from, and he is the one, he is the one who has made a promise to us that will be kept. He is the one who can offer us what all of us should be longing for. And that is a home with him in heaven when we die. And that salvation that is extended to us, it's available to us right now. Right now. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can stand pure and holy and righteous before God. And we can enjoy in a relationship with him that begins right now and lasts through all of eternity. What a wonderful offer that is that God has made to us. 
When I think about that, I, I think how foolish I would be, how foolish I would be to go looking for anything else that the world tries to promise me when God has given me everything. What more could I want? What more could I ask for? What more do I need than what God has given to me? Well, if you're here this evening and and you're not a Christian, then perhaps you have been listening to some of the deceiving lies that the world is telling you. Perhaps you've been listening as the world tells you that you can find peace in other areas, that you can find contentment somewhere outside of God. Well, you you can find the love and acceptance that you're looking for outside of God. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can only find those things in God. And he has extended to all of us an invitation to be in him, to be a child of his, to be baptized for the remission of our sins, and to be adopted into his family. And that opportunity is available to you this evening. If you are a Christian, but maybe again you've listened to some of the lies that the world has told you, and you have begun seeking happiness and joy and contentment and peace and acceptance and love in places outside of God, I want to encourage you this evening to put into practice some of the things that we've talked about to challenge yourself before making some of those sinful decisions that perhaps you've made in the past. And if you need to repent of those sins, turn back to God to renew and restore the relationship that you once had with him, you've got a group of people here tonight that are more than willing and more than ready to help you, to pray for you, to hug you, to to help you in your walk with God. We would love nothing more than to help someone this evening who is struggling with their relationship with God or to begin that walk with God for the first time. So if we can't help you in any way, please come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.